ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, the ESPN App Series XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. Shea Cornette, Chris Canty here with you. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and the NBA is back in action tonight. Nice little all-star hiatus, but it's time to get back on the hardwood and get down to business. And so now we look ahead to the second half here, Canty, right? And so if you look at what teams, people, front office, players, I don't care where we go here, who has got the most pressure to deliver in the second half, given where that respective team, player, personnel is right now? Well, I think it has to be, if we're going to boil it down to players, Devin Booker. And I know that's not a popular name, but when you think about the absence of Chris Paul, you think about the injury to campaign, hopefully you'll get him back shortly, but it's a situation now where you're going to ask him to do more of the ball handling, more of the orchestrating on the offensive end in the half court. And then when you look at where they are in the seating, this is a team that had a six-and-a-half six game lead on the next closest team in their conference. The next closest team is the Golden State Warriors. This is a team that has the third easiest strength of schedule for the remainder of the regular season. So there's pressure on Devin Booker to keep this team afloat while Chris Paul is absent and while they're dealing with some other injuries in order for them to stay in the pole position in the Western Conference because they've got to capitalize on this window that they have with this current group and compete at a championship level. I don't know how many seasons that Chris Paul has got left in him like he has this year or like he had last year, and it seems like the injuries are continuing to mount up with him. So this is an opportunity that he has to take advantage of. Devin Booker is the guy that has to elevate the play of everybody around him. So to me, he's going to be under the – He's going to be one of the players under the most pressure post-All-Star break as we gear up for the stretch run of the regular season. Well, yeah, and it could lead to a massive payday for Devin Booker, too, if he's oh, able to right yeah. this ship, obviously, without oh, Chris yeah. Paul, right? Um, I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the 76ers, but I'm going to go there via the Nets because I felt like there was so much pressure on the Nets last year and this year when James Harden was a part of that group because there was such a small, a small, such a small and short window for them to actually deliver a chip to Brooklyn. Well, then you have this trade, right, where they ship James Harden out. You get Ben Simmons, who's young. He's 25 years old, and now you have him under contract for three years there you gain some more first round picks for the future and so now you've kind of rebuilt some time there in Brooklyn to get this thing done if it can't happen this season that's all right maybe you can keep everyone around try again next year you've already bolstered your bench with adding guys like Seth Curry and company and so I wanted to say Brooklyn but now all of that pressure moves immediately to the 76ers because your window is tight you add in a guy like James Harden who in himself has his own amount of pressure considering the way he's bounced from franchise to franchise ring chasing and now you're adding on to Joel Embiid and what he's been able to do but not take the Sixers over that level so now that two to three year window in my opinion is a one to two year window shifts Mm. immediately over to the Sixers and their ability to win right now the most pressure in the second half of the season all eyes go to Philadelphia in my opinion well Shay while I will agree with you that there's a longer runway with the Brooklyn Nets because they do have an all NBA caliber player that's in his mid-20s under contract for four more seasons I think that this was a move that Daryl Morey had to make when it came to getting James Harden just because you saw how well Joel Embiid was playing. This is a guy that's at the height of his powers. He's also a player that's had a lot of injuries in his history, and so there has to be a concern about how long Joel Embiid will be able to sustain this level of play. And so by not waiting until the offseason, not waiting to the summer, and making the move to bring over James Harden now, you give yourself not just two or three chances at the postseason, but you give yourself a window of about three or four years to compete at a high level. Now, I'll acknowledge 
that that contract extension that they're going to give James Harden this offseason isn't going to be something that's going to make them feel comfortable once they get toward the end of it. It's going to look bad. I don't know if it's Russell Westbrook bad, but it'll look bad. But the hope would be that you contend at a championship level and that you get the Larry O'Brien in the first two to three years while you've got him on your team. That has to be the goal. I understand why you're, why you're saying that there's the most pressure on James Harden, but to me, in looking at the situation, I would probably say that there was the most pressure on Daryl Morey because this was a move that he absolutely had to make, and now the players have to make him look right. I mean, the fact that we're even arguing, not even me and you, but the world has argued over who won this trade, if it was the 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets, tells you you could lean one way or the other. I just think the runway is now shorter in in uh, Philadelphia than it is in Brooklyn. And so for me, it's an easy answer in terms of having to win right now in the immediate future in terms of an entire team, not just one player. It's easy to point to James Harden. Of course there's pressure. The minute he started acting like he didn't give a, a – Push. <laughs> and, and when he was in Brooklyn, I was like, watch your mouth, Shay. Uh, was the minute that the pressure shifted to him because all eyes went on him because everyone knew exactly what he was doing. It was rinse and repeat what we saw in Houston. He needs to perform and he needs to gel with Joel Embiid in the immediate future. And the Sixers need to compete or win a chip this year or next year. Well, here's the thing. I don't have any concern about James Harden being able to figure out how to make it work with Joel Embiid. James Harden is a basketball savant. People were wondering how he would work with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and he was a seamless fit. He went from being a high-volume scorer to a facilitator in that offense. The guy was an 18- to 20-point triple-double waiting to happen when you had the big three on the court at the same time. He'll figure out a way to make it work with Embiid. I mean, I'm seeing high pick-and-roll all day in the half-court offense. It's going to be next to impossible to stop because both of them can shoot it at a high clip, and you're talking about James Harden being able to get to the rack at will based on how the current NBA rules are and how you have to defend guys. So I don't have any questions about what it's going to look like on the court. My only question is, can Joel Embiid hold up? And is the supporting cast around these guys going to be enough to compete for a championship. But when we look at the look at their prospects in comparison to what Brooklyn has going on, Shay, I don't know. The Brooklyn Nets feel like the more volatile of the two situations just because there's a question mark with Kevin Durant's he- health, there's a question mark with Ben Simmons' mental health, and there's a question mark about when we're going to get Kyrie based on the vaccine mandate for home games and then how long Kyrie is going to stay engaged. Keep in mind, Kyrie missed a lot of last season when he went AWOL for a couple of weeks and nobody in the organization knew where he was. And then he surfaced on a Zoom call uh, for some political aspirations. Then he had a situation where he was at a birthday party for his sister and his dad. Like Kyrie Irving has shown that he's not always the most reliable. So the question is, how long can this version of the Brooklyn Nets keep things together? Can they do it long enough to win a championship? I don't know if I can feel confident about that. I do feel confident about what's going on in Philly just because there's too much incentive for all of those guys to make it work. Daryl Morey has to make this a win. James Harden has to make this a home run based on his track record. And Joel Embiid has to capitalize on having an MVP caliber season. Okay, so Candy, you said earlier you think there's a lot of pressure on Devin Booker, right? I obviously yeah. win towards the 76ers, and we can agree to disagree there. <laughs> However, staying out in the West, I know you're a Lakers guy, and earlier you were kind of critical of what the Lakers have done or basically you know, what they need to be doing going <laughs> forward. And so in terms of pressure, none in La Ligadale? No, no, I didn't say there wasn't any pressure in Lakerland. Tinseltown has plenty of pressure. I mean, it's the entertainment capital of the world. I, there's plenty of pressure there. But to me, it's not anybody that's on the court. The pressure 
is going to be on the people in the front office. And that's Rob Palenka. That's the Rambi. I guess you say it in plural because it's Kurt and Linda Rambis. And we know they're confidants, advisors to Jeannie Buss. Like, that to me is where all the pressure lies with the Los Angeles Lakers because they're the ones that decided that they were going to put this group of guys together, one of the oldest teams in the NBA, a bunch of pieces that didn't really fit. They dealt KCP and Kyle Kuzma to the Wizards for Russell Westbrook. I know LeBron signed off on it, but they thought it was a good idea too, and it led to disastrous results on the court when LeBron James is having one of his best scoring seasons, not to mention a guy that they thought would be a cornerstone in Anthony Davis can't seem to keep it all together and stay healthy enough for this team to cover and make up any ground in the Western Conference standing. So to me, there's a ton of pressure on the front office of the Lakers, and there's some pressure on Frank Vogel too because, let's face it, If a LeBron James team falls short of expectations, nobody blames the king. Everybody blames the pieces that are around him, and that's going to be the head coach, that's going to be the general manager, and anybody else in the front office that had their fingerprints on making this team and thinking it was a good idea to take one of the oldest superstars in the game and pair him with a bunch of other older veteran players, guys that are past their prime. It didn't make sense when they were doing it, and it makes even less sense now when you see the results. We're talking about this Lakers team fighting to be in the play-in, Shay. That's a sad state of affairs for where the Los Angeles Lakers thought they'd be coming into the season. Well, their lack of movement at the trade deadline probably tells you there's more people than just LeBron that have a hand in constructing this roster. I don't think it's all on the King himself. Um, All right, Monday might seem like a far cry away considering it's only Thursday, but in terms of negotiations in the MLB, it's really not. We'll talk more about it next coming up on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Click or call today. Let's welcome in June Lee here. Shay Cornette, Chris Canty here with you on ESPN Radio. June Lee, ESPN MLB writer. June, thanks so much for being with us. So I understand that uh, meetings have wrapped for the day, right, between league negotiators and the players and did we learn anything? Have we moved forward? Are we going to have a baseball season? What's the latest? <laughs> um, I think we're kind of at status quo. I mean, we've been in this place where both sides are really, really dug into their negotiating positions at, at this current moment, and no one has blinked yet. Um, I think that the players are really ingrained in their spot because, you know, they feel like they, they lost the last CBA negotiation. There was a lot of, you know, pushback on, is generally the, the number of middle-class players that are making money, just the competitive balance of the league. Uh, and so for, I think from, a, from a, their point of view, a moral standpoint, they feel like they're entitled to being in this spot. And the owners just obviously want to continue making money. And the business has worked in their favor over the course of the last collective bargaining agreement. And so we're at a standstill. Like, even though they spent a lot of the last couple of days, all-day meetings, we haven't really moved forward. Uh, and it's really, really bad for baseball. Like, I, I don't think the season is starting on time. I've been saying that for a couple of days now. Um, but it, the the players and, and the league basically haven't moved uh, in, in kind of the substantial economic ways uh, that are necessary for a season to start on time. June, I know one of the sticking points <laughs> for the Players Association is the competitive balance tax, also known as the luxury tax. And teams around Major League Baseball have used that as a de facto salary cap. Uh, you had l- three teams last year spend into the luxury tax. Three teams scheduled currently in 2022 to spend into the luxury tax. 
how, how dug in are the owners with maintaining this competitive balance tax threshold or this luxury tax threshold as it's currently uh, listed at? From all indications from the conversations you have with folks over at Major League Baseball, they're extremely dug in because that this has been you know, uh, they're to their benefit in terms of the bottom line revenue of the sport, uh, which is why the players are so stubborn in maintaining their position uh, as it currently stands in regards to the luxury tax because they feel like the owners are now in a spot where they pay the star players like Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis Jr., those guys, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, some of the best paid athletes in all of sports, little and just baseball, and then they can kind of skate by uh, in terms of maximizing the revenue that they make on a year-to-year basis by building the roster with younger players and not signing guys who have kind of put in the time who are major league veterans who have played seven years in the sport uh, and are looking for, you know, modest, maybe three years, $30 million, $50 million uh, contract. Uh, those kind of contracts aren't really given being given out as much anymore. And so that's what the, the top of the players union is fighting for right now is to kind of find a rebalance in, in all of that. Talking to June Lee right now, ESPN MLB writer. You can follow him on Twitter at June Lee. Shea Cornett, Chris Canty here with you on ESPN Radio. Okay, so apparently we're supposed to meet again tomorrow. There's been minimal progress over the last couple of days. Can we expect anything less or anything more for tomorrow's meetings? Unless you, unless one of the sides finally kind of blinks and is, is willing to move on the core economic stances that they have, like the two teams are the two sides rather are operating in completely different paradigms in terms of how they view the economics of the sport. So until someone makes any resemblance of a move towards the other, uh, you know, I I think it's, it's hard to imagine uh, that we're going to see anything resembling progress, especially given the fact that they've been meeting for hours and hours for full days for the entire week. Uh, And despite all of that, as, as Jeff Passon reported, uh, there's been very little progress. June, I know a source of frustration for some of the younger players in the sport is the manipulation of service time by these clubs and that delaying when those players can get the free agency and pushing those guys into their late 20s or early 30s. Is that something that the earn- the owners are willing to, to, to acquiesce to or to move on in terms of changing that system overall? They have shown some indication in the moves that they made in the negotiations that they're willing to do something around the early parts of the careers and making a lot of these athletes making, uh, you know, higher amounts of money uh, in the early parts of their careers. Um, But in regards to just kind of getting rid of the way that teams are able to manipulate um, the the contracts of these players through service time, there hasn't been kind of a, a fundamental shift in the mindset in regards to that kind of stuff. And so, Uh, You know, they have made some kind of baby steps, but there hasn't been a a big kind of substantial move uh, towards the players in any way on that front. June, before we let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you said you think we're going to have games pushed back. Do you think we have games before April 1st? Oh, um, I would say no currently, just because I'm very pessimistic about uh, just the way the negotiation is going, you know, spring training is going to have to have to, uh, you know, re- regardless of w- when they come to negotiate, uh, you know, an agreement, um, which hopefully comes sooner rather than later, uh, they're going to need four weeks to ramp up. You know, the, the way that I'm currently leaning is maybe May 1st, um, but that's probably a little bit pessimistic just as it currently stands. And we have to kind of take it day by day. All right. We'll see what happens. June Lee, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
All right, have a good one. See you later. So no movement in Major League Baseball. However, some news in the NBA because they're back in action tonight, of course, and perhaps we could see Kevin Durant as soon as this weekend. What could that mean for what the East looks like going forward? We'll tell you next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Breaking news, a blockbuster trade. Guard James Harden gets what he wants, a trade to the 76ers. Point guard Ben Simmons gets what he wants as well, a one-way ticket out of Philadelphia. The Brooklyn Nets revolve around Kevin Durant. If he didn't want this move to happen, it wouldn't happen. This could potentially, not definitively, but this could potentially go down as the worst day in the career of Daryl Morgan. The worst day. There's a lot of buzz that Nets have won this trade and this and that. It's a cool lineup, but like one guy can't play home games yet. One guy hasn't played in how many months? Oh, yeah, the NBA is back in action. We're starting to see the tweets come forward, little pregame specials, you know, little appetizers for the games that are about to get underway here momentarily. NBA back from their all-star hiatus, and we've got some news for you. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Click or call today. Shay Cornette, Chris Canty here with you. And now here's the latest in terms of the Nets, when Kevin Durant could be back, and what's the deal with Ben Simmons? Where well, our own Nick Friedel just tweeted this. Steve Nash says it is possible Kevin Durant could play in Milwaukee, but it sounds more optimistic about him returning early next week. Same goes for Goran Dragic. So it seems like part of that quote-unquote big three, we'll add Simmons into that mix, could be full go as early as next week, maybe even sooner than that. What say you, Chris Canty, on this latest news that Kevin Durant could be back with the quickness? Well, I mean, they need him sooner rather than later. When you look at how the Brooklyn Nets open up the second half, and I struggle to call it the second half because really it's the final third of the regular season. I mean, they're playing six games against top eight teams in the Eastern Conference, and in those six games, Kyrie Irving is only eligible to play in two of them. So they need KD to help hold down the fort. And so if you can get him on Saturday at Milwaukee, that would be great. That gives you a real chance to be a live dog in that game against Giannis and company, having KD and having Kevin Kyrie Irving available to you. But then you got back-to-backs against Toronto. You can't play in either one of those. A home game against the Miami Heat, Kyrie can't play in that. So if you're Kevin Durant, your team needs you back so this team can start to make up some ground in the Eastern Conference standings. Because, again, you want to try to create the easiest path for you to compete for a championship, and that involves your team being in the top six and avoiding the play-in tournament. So that's why they had to get him back. And then on top of that, Shay, you want as many games with Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons on the court as you possibly can have. Yep. Because you want those guys to develop that chemistry. You want those guys to understand their roles. But then also, you want the role players to understand what they're going to have to contribute in order for your team to compete at the highest level. That's the thing that's got to get worked out and figured out before you get to the postseason. You can't wait to flip the switch once the playoff starts. you got to figure that out with the runway that you have with the rest of the regular season. That way this team can carry some momentum into playoff basketball. Okay, now some news from the other side of this trade, meaning James Harden. He's obviously with the 76ers now, and reports, it's not confirmed yet, but there are reports that James Harden could make his 76ers debut on Friday, and that would mean the 76ers are taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves in 
Minnesota. And so this is obviously a playoff team, right? Minnesota mm-hmm. right now. So this is a tough test, I guess, for James Harden getting back into the full playing alongside Joel Embiid. But we're going to start to see some of these superstars now back into the mix, meaning Kevin Durant coming back, James Harden coming back. Remains to be seen when Ben Simmons is back in the fold. But it's going to move quick now, Canty. No, it is going to move quick, and it's amazing how quickly that hamstring of James Harden healed up (laughs) once he got traded down to the Philadelphia 76ers. But there's a lot of pressure on him to make this work, Shay. And you mentioned it earlier. Like, he's going to be the guy that's under the most scrutiny or one of the guys under the most scrutiny as we go through the remainder of the regular season because James Harden hasn't necessarily been able to make it work when it comes to getting along with his co-stars. Now, I'm going to throw out what happened in OKC because you're really talking about a guy that was coming off the bench and wanted a bigger role. But in Houston, he wasn't able to make it work with Dwight Howard. He didn't make it work with Chris Paul. He didn't make it work with Russell Westbrook. In Brooklyn, he wasn't able to make it work with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. So now you're going to a team that has the front runner for the MVP and the league's leading scorer in Joel Embiid. You've got to find a way to develop chemistry with that guy and develop chemistry with the rest of those guys and fit into the culture that Doc Rivers has created for that team. Because they got a good thing going. They didn't have Ben Simmons all season long, and you're talking about them being third in the Eastern Conference. So this is a good basketball team. You've got to come in, and you've got to elevate the play of everybody else. It can't be a struggle for everybody to try to figure you out. You've got to meet them where they're at. And I think that's going to be the part the part. That's tough on James Harden, and that's what we're going to judge him on and ultimately judge this move by Daryl Morey on, how quickly James Harden can get assimilated and how high a level he can take this team. Look, if you have a focus and motivated James Harden, I would take him up there with the best. It's scary, right? When he's on the and doesn't want to do something, that's a whole different story. But he should be motivated and want to get into the fold quickly. All right, let's go back to this Ben Simmons side of things because, you know, over the last couple of days, couple of hours, teammates of his have come forward, mainly Seth Curry, saying that he feels like Ben Simmons is in such a better place now that he's in Brooklyn. He was obviously with him in Philadelphia. And speaking of that situation, Danny Green, the forward for the 76ers, was inside the green room with Danny Green podcast and he had this to say about his relationship with Ben Simmons take a listen interesting dynamic yes. of how things went down interesting dynamic of who went with him I don't know I haven't got a chance to talk to those guys yet but I know they weren't on the most of cordial terms when he was in Philly with Drum and Seth um, so I wonder how that relationship is now I got a chance to talk to them now will we shake hands to start probably not first I'd be highly sh- surprised if he even plays in that game I don't know where his health is mentally, physically, and I don't. We all know that he does not like to play in Philly. But say that does happen, I see it as being a very hectic, playoff-like atmosphere environment, to where it may be very rough for him. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Shay, it means it feels like Danny Green is calling for it to be a rough environment for him. He you wants think? the Philly fans to act out if Ben Simmons decides to put on a Nets uniform and come back and play in that arena like it feels like that's what Danny Green is teeing up right there like we understand that Ben Simmons was dealing with some mental health issues and we have to respect that but Danny Green is saying if this guy dares step in here for the other team when we could have used him in the first half of the regular season Philly fans we want you to let Ben Simmons hear it doesn't it sound like that 
But don't you think that was already a given? Do you think six, Sixers fans now we're talking about? Yeah. We're not talking about L.A. or and even Lakers fans are a different breed, but I'm just saying we're not talking about these lackadaisical kind of fans. You think Sixers fans were going to let him walk into the building and just play without any sort of playoff-like atmosphere between? I mean, come on. This was already a given, and maybe Danny Green's just adding a little more fuel to the fire. But already this is going to be complete. Like, even just uh, we work in the media. The media requests alone are going to be ridiculous. It's going to be like the Patriots and the Buccaneers this year in the NBA version. Yeah, there's no amount of Ben Simmons working with Kyle Korver on his shooting that's going to make up for him feeling comfortable when he goes back down to Philly. Like, all of these reports out there that they want him to feel as comfortable as possible, let's face it. The Philadelphia 76ers are in the Eastern Conference, and at some point the Brooklyn Nets are most likely going to have to deal with them. Whether it happens on March 10th or whether it happens in the postseason, you're probably going to have to deal with playing back down in Philadelphia. So from my perspective, you might as well get it over with sooner rather than later. Ben Simmons, if you're going to help this team compete at a championship level this season, then go ahead and and put put your sneakers on, put your jersey on, and go out there and go down to Philadelphia and face the booze and show up for your team in a big way. That's the only way that this works out, Shay. I mean, they made this move. They traded James Harden. They thought they got back a significant piece. I understand that the Nets want him to feel comfortable, but in order for the Nets to contend at a championship level and to win a title, they're going to need Ben Simmons to contribute at some point. So he's got to step up. At some point, you're going to have to move past whatever struggles you had and get back on the basketball court. Which it sounds like that's what we're working towards. You know, from outsiders' perspectives, we have yet to hear from Ben Simmons and the coaching staff on when he's going to come back, but it sounds like that's what we're working towards, and obviously that's best for basketball. All right, coming up, Paige Becker, some great news here. Has recovered from knee surgery. She's going to rejoin the UConn Huskies basketball team for their game on Friday. Fantastic news, of course, for women's basketball. We've got more stuff for you coming your way on 3 and Out. It's next right here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. Shea Cornette, Chris Canty here with you. Big thank you to our guest today, Erin Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst. She was fantastic. Robert Griffin III, of course you know him, ESPN NFL analyst, and then June Lee, ESPN MLB writer. Perhaps if you missed Erin Dolan, though, you might want to check out the podcast because maybe she could give you some wink-wink hints for tonight's NBA action that returns after a little bit of a hiatus. But now it is time to go three and out. Three and out. All right, there are times on this show or in life where Chris Canty, you know, kind of goes into a negative direction. So I am here to keep things positive and on the straight and narrow. So we're going to start with a happy story. We might even have a few happy stories. First one, Paige Beckers recovered from knee surgery. She's going to rejoin the UConn Huskies women basketball team for their game on Friday. This is fantastic news for one of college basketball's best players, men or women. It don't matter. I am so happy she has made a full recovery in a short amount of time, too, Canty. Can I just say so? Congrats to Paige Beckers and the Huskies, and man, they need her back in the fold. Oh, no doubt about it. But you got an old school biggies matchup with St. John's, and even though St. John's is not at the same level as UConn, it's always fun when you see those traditional rivalries, those traditional matchups, and then Paige Beckers being back in the fold. It's going to be awesome for college basketball. It's going to be awesome for the Big East. I'm excited to watch her because you know Shay coming out. She's going to be coming out hot, and she's definitely good for at least one top 10 sports center highlight. You know it's on deck for Paige Beckers has got it on her mind. All that NIL money, she got to do something to earn that. This will be the opportunity. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Speaking of the Big East, we'll stay there. Go to the men's side of things and talk a little bit about what's going on uh, with Villanova. One of their former players, his name is Mikel Bridges. I love this. He has yet to miss a game in his NBA or NCAA career. That's why I brought up Villanova. Tonight he could become the Suns' only player to play in every single game this season. In the 11 games before the break, you want to know what Mikel Bridges did? Let me tell you. Okay. He averaged just under 37 minutes a game. Over uh, around 19 and a half points per game, five and a half boards per game, and was shooting a field goal th- uh, field goal percentage of oh 61 and a half percent. I mean, he's doing some good things. Okay, some really good things for the Phoenix Suns. Shay, I will say this: Mikel Bridges is quietly becoming one of the best two way players in the entire NBA. Like people aren't checking for him, and there's a lot of other storylines that are going on with that Suns team. But this dude balls, and he brings it every single night, as you mentioned. He doesn't miss any games. They're going to need him to step up in a big way in the absence of Chris Paul. But may I just say this, based on how everything went down with him on draft day and not going to the team where his mom was actually an employee of and having an opportunity to settle down in the desert and be a part of a team that's contending at a championship level early on in his career, let me just say bravo to Mikel Bridges. I'm, 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 I really do appreciate the way that he's handled his business, how he's, he's carried himself as a pro's pro early on in his career, and his game and his production matches what the expectations were for this kid coming out of Villanova. All right, let's keep it moving here. Speaking of missing some time, there's someone named Zion Williamson who has missed a ton of time, meaning all of it, this season. And now he might be out for the remainder of the season. We don't really know. But here's the thing. The Pelicans released their season ticket email, and there is no mention or photograph of Zion Williamson. This was your former number one overall pick. The people were rejoicing down in the bayou when he was the one that was presented to the New Orleans Pelicans, and now there's no mention of him on your season ticket email? Weird? Well, 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 Shay, listen, back when they were thinking about drafting Zion, when the draft lottery happened, there was chatter that Zion did not want to go to New Orleans, and then his dad stepped up and said, no, he's going to go down there, he's going to play for the Pelicans. But it was clear, it was obvious that this guy really didn't want to be there, and I don't blame him because you see how the New Orleans Pelicans mismanaged Anthony Davis. So I can understand why a superstar talent doesn't want to be there, and then you couple that with the pressure, the expectations of him coming into the league. I can completely understand how things can go left with this situation. Now I'm just trying to figure out what happens next. Like, are they going to offer him the rookie contract extension of five years, $181 million? Or, or do the New Orleans Pelicans decide they're going to do something different based on what they've seen with his injury history? In his first three seasons, well, two and a half seasons, he's on his way to completing his th- third season. The guy's played in 85 games. So I don't know how comfortable they feel investing in him at that level. But if you don't, then what's your alternative? What do you ultimately do with Zion, a guy that hasn't really been around the team since December, Shay? I don't know what David Griffin does with this, but this is an ugly situation. And not putting him on those tickets for next year is going to make it even more contentious. Nah, the Pelicans are such a disaster. There's so much <laughs> chaos going on there. Like, after J.J. Redick basically dogged his former teammate saying, this is ridiculous, you haven't communicated with C.J. McCollum, it's the bare minimum in terms of being a teammate, a friend, a human being. Yeah, can I'm I say something this about spring- that, Shay? Sure, Can I say ahead. something about that? And I know we don't like to do ESPN on ESPN Crime. I, 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 I'd never played with Zion Williamson. I watched him play when he was in high school. The kid was a phenom in South Carolina. But, I mean, I, I don't feel great about J.J. going after Zion. You're talking about a kid that has 
expectations that were through the roof. He's one of the most celebrated prospects since LeBron James came into the league. So it's a next to impossible standard to live up to. And then that you compound that with dealing with the frustrations of being injured and not being able to get your NBA career off the ground like you wanted to. I, I can understand how he could be worried about self and focused on doing the things that he needs to do to get himself back right, more so than a guy that just got traded to his team. He hadn't even been around the team in a month. So I I, I, I think we got to pump the brakes when it comes to the criticism of him not reaching out to C.J. McCollum, uh, you know, in, in, in the wake of the trade. Like, this is a situation where C.J. McCollum should also know better, too, because when you say that the guy didn't call you, you know that that's yeah, going to create a headline. That's, well, the other, that's the other part of the game, too. Like, the phone works both ways. If you just got traded, you know the young guy is dealing with some issues. Pick up the damn phone and call him. You've been in the league long enough. You got enough stripes. Call him. Check in on him. You know that you're supposed to be a piece that can convince him to stay there long term. Why don't you guys try to make it work together? It shouldn't be this, well, he's the young guy and he's got to show a degree of deference because you understand the dynamic, the frustrations that Zion is dealing with. Let me just say that. Had to get that off my chest, Shay. Had to get it off my chest. That's fair. But I I semi-agree with J.J. Redick. I think everyone's got two seconds to send a text message regardless of pressure or what's going on in your life. Two seconds. You don't need to pick up the phone. Just send maybe a text message. But the phone does work both ways. So I hear your side of it too, Canty. But this just adds to the chaos that's going down in New Orleans. 59 games into the season. Twice have they won more than two games in a row. Ridiculous. They're in the bottom eight in both offense and defensive efficiency this season. And they're likely going to be in their fourth straight losing season with three different head coaches. It's a mess in New Orleans. The communication has clearly failed. They don't know what's going on in terms of who they're putting on their season ticket emails. And it's ridiculous and it needs to be cleaned up because you're dealing with people's careers that matter in the NBA and it needs to be fixed fast. All right, let's go out. Before don't give I get them no more up. number one picks though. If they're in the lottery, don't Seriously, give New Orleans the number done. one pick anymore. Don't give them no more number one picks. We're done here. All right, let's go out now because the rumor is that Troy Aikman could be leaving Fox. Oh, speaking year. of number one picks. <laughs> number one pick. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there so we go. no more Troy Aikman in the box for Fox, which could be interesting to say the least, can't he? Yeah, it could be interesting. There were some rumors about how Amazon was fishing around trying to get Troy Aikman to come over with their primetime games that they would be responsible for. There's also been a rumor that our very own company could potentially be interested in looking at the Monday night booth. So just excited about the possibilities for Troy Aikman and and seeing what happens with him. Also, it's been rumored that there are media companies out there that are interested in Joe Buck, too. So it could potentially be a package deal, Shay, one that I would have to be on board with because Troy Aikman is a former Dallas Cowboy, just like yours truly. Well, we'll see what happens. His name's Chris Canty. My name is Shay Cornett. Thanks for hanging out with us today on ESPN Radio. Coming up next, you can hear Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. You don't want to miss it. This has been ESPN Radio.